Thank you all for being here today. It's great to be together, and it's uh, encouraging to have you here. It's a wonderful blessing to be able to worship God together on this day. Well, today wraps up what many in the Christian world celebrate as Holy Week. It starts on the evening of Palm Sunday, and it concludes with today, Easter. And within this Holy Week, there are several days that are designated, the first of those being Palm Sunday, which represents Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, on the week of His crucifixion, on that Sunday when He entered into Jerusalem. It is called Palm Sunday because you will recall as he rode on that colt that they were spreading palm fawns or branches in front of Jesus on the road for him to travel down. And then in this Holy Week there is also what is called Spy Wednesday, which is the day that, or which marks the betrayal of Jesus or, Jesus, or Judas's agreement to betray Jesus on that Wednesday. Followed by that is Monday Thursday, which represents uh, the uh, Last Supper, the taking of the Last Supper on that final week of Jesus' life on Thursday. The word Monday is taken from the Latin word, which means command. And that references the commandment that Jesus gave at the Last Supper in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, John 13. 34, Monday, Thursday. And then you have Good Friday, of course, which is the day that Jesus was crucified. And then today, Easter Sunday, which marks the resurrection of Jesus. You've read about all of these events in your Bible, no doubt. But what you haven't read in your Bible is the description of any of these days as being recognized as a holiday or even that any kind of special commemoration of these days should be established. These were all very important events in the Bible, but nowhere in the Bible do we see these events formally memorialized. This morning, I want to look at, you, look at Easter with you and ask three questions about Easter. What does Easter memorialize? And why is this event important? And then finally this morning, should we celebrate Easter as a special holiday? Three very important questions. As the religious world today gathers to celebrate Easter, I want to look at these questions with you from the Bible. First, what does Easter memorialize? Obviously, Easter memorializes the resurrection of Christ. This occurred very early on a Sunday morning. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Ben just read for us the account of Luke in Luke chapter 24, but let's look at Matthew chapter 27 and see the accounts of Jesus' burial and subsequent resurrection. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus has been hanging on a cross. It is getting late in the day on Friday, and Joseph of Arimathea is going to request Jesus' body. In Matthew chapter 27, Begin reading with me in verse 57, if you will. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 57. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. 
And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. And so Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple of Christ. He wants the body of Christ. He doesn't want it to be left there hanging on the cross. He comes and asks Pilate for it. He has given the body. He takes it to a tomb that he has had hewn out of the rock. It is a new tomb. Nobody has been laid there. He puts Jesus in. It appears he did so in a rapid fashion because the Sabbath is approaching and they wouldn't be doing work on that day. So he rapidly puts Jesus into the tomb, rolls the stone over the entrance of the tomb, and you notice that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Go on in Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. On the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees rather, are concerned because they know Jesus had made a, a prediction that he was going to rise on the third day. And they say, you know what? There's going to be some mischief associated with this tomb. We need a Roman guard there to make sure that no foul play occurs. And so they said, you can have your guard. And so they take the guard. So there's some important things we learn here from the latter part of Matthew chapter 27. The first is that Jesus was placed in a tomb, not in a cave. A cave might have multiple entrances. This was a tomb that was hewn out of a rock. There was only one way in and one way out. It was a new tomb. There were no other bodies in that tomb but Jesus' body on that Friday night. So that when he rose from the dead, you, couldn't have, you wouldn't wonder, was this the body that was Jesus' or was it another? There was one body in there on Friday. There were no bodies there on Sunday. It was a known tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there. They saw Jesus be placed in that tomb. They knew which tomb it was. It was a guarded and secure tomb. The Romans were there guarding the tomb. And it was a sealed tomb. They had placed a seal on, the, on the, the stone there. They marked the tomb so that they knew that no one had tampered with it. And then if you'll with, continue with me in Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 1, the two Marys come back to that tomb that they had seen Jesus placed into two days earlier. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 1, now after the Sabbath, has, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. They came to the tomb that they knew that they had, where they had seen Jesus placed. Jesus was not in that tomb anymore. He was not there on Sunday morning. There was no foul play involved. There was no mischief associated with this. The guards proved that something miraculous had happened. He was no longer in the tomb. The two Marys proved this. The guards proved this. Go on in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. Notice how the guards know that Jesus is raised from the dead, but they're bribed to tell a lie that there had been some foul play. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 11, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled together with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews to this day. These guards knew that there was no foul play. They had to be bribed. They had to be paid to tell a lie. A lie that would have, in fact, incriminated them. But they were told, telling this lie that there had been foul play. If this had really been what had happened, if there really had been foul play, they wouldn't have to have been paid to tell that lie. They had to be paid. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He arose on Sunday. The tomb was empty. There is no denying this fact. And not only was the tomb empty, Jesus made many appearances after his resurrection. His appearances were not few and they were not isolated, but he had made multiple appearances after his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all He was seen by me also." as one born out of due time. Paul says Jesus appeared to many, many people. And it wasn't just in some remote location. Paul isn't just saying, you're just going to have to take my word on this. It was in the far reaches of outer Mongolia. And this happened, just trust me on this. No, Paul says he appeared to many people. In fact, there's still some alive today if you want to talk to them about it. Jesus raised from the dead. There were people alive that day that could collaborate, collaborate, corroborate Paul's story. In fact, Jesus says that he was resurrected in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus says, I raised from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. We have proof of that. It is no, there is no denying it. Easter memorializes that resurrection. And why is this event important? Why is the resurrection important? Because the resurrection is crucial to our story of redemption. It shows Christ's deity. 
In Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, Romans chapter 1, verse 3, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. It is that proof that shows us that Jesus is what He claimed He was, the Son of God. He is deity. And it proves His trustworthiness. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, is just one example of the many times that Jesus was foretelling the fact that He would raise from the dead. Jesus had been telling people that I'm going to be raised in three days, and if He wasn't raised in three days, He would have been a liar. But if He is raised in three days, then we can trust what He said in this matter and in every matter. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus has been telling people, I'm going to be raised the third day. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Matthew 20, verse 17, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death, and deliver Him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day He will rise again. It was no surprise to Jesus what was about to happen he knew what was about to happen, and he said, I'm going to die, and the third day I'll rise again. He said this over and over again. Remember, he was misunderstood by the scribes and Pharisees when he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it again, in John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus said, I'm going to be raised the third day, and if he didn't raise from the third day, or if he didn't raise from the dead on the third day, we can't trust Him in anything that He said. Jesus proves His trustworthiness by His resurrection from the dead. In fact, our faith hinges on the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Note, if there is no resurrection, if Jesus was still in that tomb on Sunday, then the preaching of the gospel is empty. There's no reason to preach the gospel. Your faith is empty. There's no reason to have faith. The apostles are all liars. We're still in our sins. The dead are lost. There's no hope of heaven. And we're all pitiable. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The, the, the resurrection of Christ is pivotal to our faith and our salvation. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, it is all vain. Christ raised from the dead. And as a result, it proves that He has the right to be Lord. In, Luke, in Romans chapter 14 verse 9, in Romans 14 verse 9, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, why? 
that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Jesus has the right to be Lord, and it's shown in the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, to Peter in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not descend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He has the right to be Lord, and that is shown by the resurrection. And finally, the resurrection gives us hope. If what Jesus said about the resurrection is true, everything else he said can be trusted as true. And one of the things he said was that he would be res we would be resurrected with him in the end. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We have hope. We have hope that we will be resurrected when this life is over. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. We have that hope as a result of His resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you also sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Did Jesus die and was He raised again? Yes. And if He was, we have hope that the same will be true for us, that we will raise again when this life is over. Easter memorializes the resurrection of Jesus. That resurrection is crucial and central to our faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no reason to have any faith at all. We're wasting our time. But He did raise from the dead. And so we can't have that hope that is associated with the promises that He made. But finally, this morning, we have to ask an obvious question. Should we be celebrating this day called Easter? Many would say, well, why not? Why not celebrate Easter? It sure seems like a good idea to me. In fact, we have all kinds of other significant days that we celebrate and we remember. Pearl Harbor Day, President's Day, National Donuts Day, which, by the way, is June 3rd. You don't want to miss that. Why not remember the resurrection? Why not celebrate Easter? It only makes sense that since this is so important, this is, since this is so central to our faith, that we have a day to celebrate it. Well, these arguments make a lot of sense from a human perspective. Let me ask you a couple questions about that. Are you sure that God wants us to celebrate Easter? If so, how do you know? And if he does want us to celebrate Easter, when does he want us to celebrate Easter? And how does he want us to celebrate it? Again, how do you know? You see, this gets down to authority. 
We must have authority for all that we do, and that authority has to come from the Bible. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, in Colossians 3, verse 17, we have this important instruction, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything that we do has to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean that you just say, I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus before you do everything. No, it says you have to have the authority from Jesus to do what you do. You have to have authority for the things that you do. And that authority has to come from the Bible. Everything we do has to be done in Jesus' name, by His authority. Can we celebrate Easter under Jesus' authority? We can't, because He didn't say to celebrate it. This is important, because the Bible claims to have everything that we need to be pleasing to God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible tells me everything that I need to do to be pleasing to God. The Scriptures tell me what I need to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if the Bible gives us all that we need, we need to be following it. We need to be doing what it said and not following our own thoughts or our own ideas. Now, I may have a lot of ideas that may seem good to me, that may make a lot of sense to me, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. What matters is what did God say? Because I have to be acting on His authority. Because... Passages like Romans chapter 14, verse 23, tell us how important it is that we live by faith. Because if we live outside of faith, without faith, we are sinning. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. Notice this. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul says, If I can't have confidence that I'm doing what God wants me to do, it's sin. If I'm acting in a way that is not driven by faith, I'm sinning. Now, that's important. How do I get faith? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Paul says you've got to have faith that you're doing what God wants you to do. How do you get that faith? You get it from the Word of God. You read the Word of God, you hear the Word of God, God tells you what He wants, and you do it. If you don't, if you don't look to God's Word, and you don't have Him telling you what He wants you to do, and you do it, you're not living and acting by faith. And Paul said in Romans 14, verse 23, that's sin. We've got to make sure that we have authority for the things that we do, that we're following the instructions God has given us in His, in His Word. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 7, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When I start to make up the rules myself, when I start to say, you know what, this looks like a good idea to me to do, let's all do this, and I start teaching that as doctrine, Jesus says, my worship will be vain. We've got to make sure that we have authority for all that we do from God's Word. And quite frankly, God didn't say to celebrate the resurrection 
on a particular day of the year. He didn't say to celebrate Easter. In fact, you can't find the word Easter in your Bibles. Unless you're reading the King James Version, you'll find it in Acts chapter 12, verse 4. But other translations have the word Passover there because that's the word that's in the Greek. Translators didn't translate Acts chapter 12, verse 4 correctly because they had this false idea of Easter in their vocabulary. Well, someone might say, well, aren't you happy that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, absolutely we're happy. We're happy that Jesus rose from the dead for all the reasons that we've looked at this morning. We simply don't have instruction from God that we need to be celebrating that on any particular day of the year. And someone might say, but wait, I think you're missing it. We are supposed to celebrate the resurrection. In fact, we're supposed to do that every first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're just be celebrating the resurrection every week, not just one day out of the year. No, the, the Lord's Supper is not about the resurrection of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now notice verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper that we partake on a weekly basis is a memorial of Christ's death. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now he was raised after that death, but we memorialize his death on the first day of the week. Easter. It memorializes Christ's resurrection. That resurrection is vital to our faith. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, we can throw the Bible away. We can forget that we even knew the name Jesus because it's all a fake, it's all a fraud, it doesn't mean anything. The resurrection is so important to our faith. But we simply, by looking at the Bible, don't see any instruction to remember that on a certain day of the week or a certain day of the year, I'm sorry. Easter simply is not authorized by the Bible. It's a man-made holiday that we can't find in the Bible. And as such, we have no authority to observe it collectively. The resurrection is crucial to our faith. Since Jesus arose from the dead, we can have faith in what he taught and that we too will be resurrected if we're ready. The question for us this morning is, are you ready? I want to go back to a passage that Mark referenced in his talk for the Lord's Supper in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we see about how we can benefit, how we can be saved as a result of Christ's sacrifice. In Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, look at verse 3. Oh, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We've been talking about that all morning. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. The question for you this morning is, have you died with Christ? Have you died with him in the waters of baptism, crucifying that old man of sin, putting him to death? And just as Christ rose from the dead on that third day, rising from the waters of baptism to walk as a new man, living your life for Christ, following his instructions in your life, have you done that this morning? If you have, you have the hope that you'll be raised with him ultimately when this life is over to an eternity in heaven with him. And if you've not been baptized, there's no better time than today to take care of that. If there's any way that we can help you, will you let us know while we stand and while we sing?